Hey, uh, will you guys help me thank Jimmy and the band for leading us tonight? Man, that was awesome. So good. Thank you, guys. Well, I, uh, I know that you guys are smart college students, and so I would imagine that everyone here is very familiar with what a fad is, but just to make sure that we're all on the same page, a fad is something that has a sudden increase in popularity followed by this momentary season of being the craze, followed by a sudden and rapid decline, right? That's what a fad is. And so just knowing what a fad is, I want to step into a time of confession right now, and I want to show you some fads on the screen from your generation. And if you got sucked into one of these fads, I just want you to slip up your hand real quick, okay? And there's no shame. Well, for some of you, there will be some shame, all right? Uh, But a heart that swells, a heart that tells. And so let's just be open, honest, transparent here. Let me show you some of these, and let's just get real. Here's the first one. Heelys. Anyone ever get into Heelys? That's awesome. Very nice. Excellent. Okay, how about the next one? Crocs? Man. Hey, some of you guys, anyone wearing Crocs right now? Hey, say no to Crocs. All right, like it's done. 2005 called and they want their shoes back. All right, so Crocs are over. All right, next. Hannah Montana. <laughs> It's all girls. Any man? I I appreciate the men who are going strong. Way to go. All right, we need to talk afterward. Okay, Uh, the Snuggie. Anyone get into the Snuggie? Man, the Snuggie was legit. All right, how about one more high school musical? Yeah, there it is. There it is. Any more pictures? I think that's the last one. There's, uh, There's one more fad, and this one is actually a song, and this one's going to take a lot of just honesty here, but again, a heart that swells, a heart that tells. If you got sucked into this song, let's just go ahead and own it. Here it is. I'm going to ask everyone to raise your right hand and repeat after me. I state your name. Did you just say state my name? (laughs) No, you're supposed to say your name. I say your name. Do solemnly swear. Repeat after me. To never listen to Rebecca Black's Friday. Ever again. Okay, praise God. All right. All of these things were clearly fads, and we know that they're fads because they're just not that cool anymore. I mean, when was the last time that your semi-formal didn't feel complete until you listened to Friday, okay? That's just not the case. These things just aren't that cool anymore. That's what a fad is, something that has a sudden increase in popularity followed by this temporary season of being the craze followed by a sudden and rapid decline. Fads are notorious for over-promising and under-delivering, okay? It's easy to believe that a fad is going to change your life, and then in the end, it simply ends up on a table at a garage sale, okay? The reason that we're even talking about the topic of fads 
is because tonight when we step into Acts chapter 5, we're going to look at a story that is going to make one, one truth come into focus. And here it is. I'm going to go ahead and tell you this one central truth that is going to come into focus for us tonight. Here it is. The gospel of Jesus Christ has never been and will never be a fad. That's it. One simple truth coming into focus tonight. The gospel of Jesus Christ. And just to be clear on what I'm talking about when I refer to the gospel, I'm talking about the massive truth that Jesus Christ, who wasn't his God, died for our sins and rose from the dead. That is what I'm talking about when I say the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ has never been and will never be a fad. It, it, it won't. And honestly, we don't have to look at Acts chapter 5 to realize that the gospel of Jesus Christ has only been increasing in momentum and impact for the last 2,000 years. We don't even have to look at Acts chapter 5 to really know that. Let me just tell you what the gospel has been up to or what has happened because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just so you guys know, Christianity is so widespread around the world that no single continent or region can indisputably claim to be the center of global Christianity. We often think that the United States is the center point of Christianity, and it's just not. That's just not the case. The Bible, I said this a few weeks ago, but the Bible is the number one selling book of all time, approximately 78.5 million Bibles are distributed each year. At least parts of the Bible have been translated into over 2,500 languages. This is fascinating, but in AD 100, there were 360 non-believers for every one believer. Today, there are only nine non-believers for every one believer. Uh, this was staggering. Uh, the number of people who were being presented with the gospel every day is now uh, at least 260,000 people a day, at least. And uh, every day, the average number of people, the average, of num- the average number of people who convert to Christianity worldwide averages at about 174,000 people. A day. The gospel of Jesus Christ has only been increasing in momentum and impact for the last 2,000 years. Why? Because the gospel is in the business of transforming lives, not just temporarily, but for all of eternity. I mean, just think about the gospel and its implications. The gospel declares that we don't have to, to worry about being good enough for God. We, we hit on this a little last week, but the gospel frees us from the need to be good enough for God. I, I believe that a lot of people go through life in this world with the belief that at the end of their life, they're going to stand before God and God is going to put their goods and their bads on some divine judicial scale. And he's going to weigh out their goods and bads to determine if they have been good enough for him. Well, Christianity just spells it out for us. The Bible actually declares no, no one has been good enough for God. You are not good enough for God. We said it last week, but you cannot be a Christian without first coming to the realization that you can never be good enough for God, but that's okay because Jesus Christ has already been good enough for you. 
through his death on the cross and resurrection from the dead, when you express faith in him, what basically happens is he takes your scale and gives you his. So his scale of perfection now is counted as your scale of perfection. And when God sees you, he sees his son. And all of the love, acceptance, and approval of favor that the father has for his son, Jesus Christ, is now ours because we are in Christ. Because of the gospel, we no longer have to go through life being defined by our failures because Jesus Christ actually makes us new. Isn't that amazing? We don't have to go through life uh, dwelling on the fact that we have failed. We get to go through life dwelling on the fact that we've been forgiven. Our failures are no longer anchors that we tow around of guilt and shame. Our failures become trophies of God's grace. Our failures actually demonstrate just how good, loving, and gracious God truly is. The gospel declares that every single one of us was by nature, a child of wrath, but now through faith, for as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God. We who are by nature children of wrath have become children of God. So the relationship that we have with God is one of a father to a child. And the greatest news is that our heavenly father is a perfect father, perfect in love, perfect in forgiveness, perfect in grace, in discipline, pleasure, in attendance. This is all that is available to us through faith and faith alone in who Jesus is and what he has accomplished for us on the cross. This is transforming news. This is transforming news. This is life changing news. This is why the gospel has only been increasing in momentum and impact over the last 2,000 years. This is why the gospel is not, has never been, and will never be a fad. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to step into Acts chapter 5 with you tonight, and I want to show you that, I want to show you a story that's really just going to drive home this one point tonight. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. The story is going to begin in verse 17. So you can go ahead and find verse 17. But before we jump into the story, I just want to catch you up on what's been going on in the book of Acts. I want to show you the gospel on the move. Okay? Track with me here. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Uh, Jesus casts his vision for his gospel message. And he tells his friends, the apostles this, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That's Jesus's vision for the gospel, that it reaches out to the end of the earth. And now we see that begin to happen. Acts chapter 2, 41. This is the beginning of the church, the day of Pentecost. Peter stands up and gives a sermon, and here's the outcome. Acts 2.41, it says this, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. One message, 3,000 souls. Acts chapter 2.47, 
says this, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Acts chapter 4, verse 4, Peter gives a second sermon. It says this, but many of those who had heard the word believed and the number of men came to about 5,000. So we start out with 3,000, then day by day, now we're at 5,000. Then you get to Acts chapter 5, verse 14, and it says this, and more than ever, Believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Do you see that phrase that the verse starts out with? And more than ever, more than the 3,000, more energy, more excitement, more momentum than the day the church began and 3,000 people came to Christ at one sermon. No, more than that, more momentum, more impact, more than ever. Believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. And now we get to this uh, hilarious story in Acts chapter 5, which is going to bring this point home that the gospel has never been and will never be a fad. And I got to tell you, I love this story because it's just a great reminder that God is, is truly the king of comedy. Like, I don't know if you ever think of God as having a sense of humor, but God has the greatest sense of humor in all the world, okay? God has the type of laugh that you don't have to hear the joke. You just have to hear the laugh and and you bust out laughing. That is how humorous God truly is. And if you don't believe me, then you clearly have not read the book of Acts. So here we go. Uh, Verse 17, it says this, uh, but the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy They arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. So that's the setup. The apostles proclaiming the gospel. They get thrown in the slammer. And here's what happens. Verse 19, it says this. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, They entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. So I would just say that um, in this particular situation, this is one of those times that I would have loved to get uh, the girl's version of the story, okay? The, The version that would have a lot more detail because apparently Luke, the author, doesn't think it's that big of a deal when an angel shows up and busts people out of prison, all right? He believes that that can be summed up in one verse, all right? I believe that there's probably a lot more detail, like there are things in this story that I would love to know, like what, what kind of entrance did the angel make, all right? Did he pull out all the stops with, with smoke and lights in music, or uh, did he just play it cool? Like, uh, peace be with you, I'm an angel. What do we have going on here? I see we're in prison. How can I help? Like, I don't know. I would have loved to know, how did the angel enter? But Luke doesn't give us any of that. He's just like, eh, an angel showed up. Yeah, that's kind of normal, all right? That was just kind of Friday night, all right? Just getting busted out of jail. So I just want you to imagine this. Put yourself in the shoes of the apostles. You and your friends are are in prison. This is just a good rule to live by. If you're going to get in trouble, it's always more enjoyable, more enjoyable to get in trouble in a group. All right. So you and your friends are in prison. And then one minute there's no angel. And the next minute there is like anytime an angel shows up, that's a big deal. All right. That that's just another rule to live by. So just imagine an angel shows up, unlocks the jail cell door, 
opens it and is like, after you. You're like, oh, yeah, of course, after me, angel. Thank you very much. And you walk right out the door past a guard who has no clue what's going on. I'd be so tempted to pull out a Sharpie and want to ride on the guard's forehead. The angel would have to threaten to throw me back into prison. We'd have this awkward interchange. That's how it plays out in my mind. And I don't know what I'm talking about right now. But anyway, <laughs> I, just, I just got so into it. Uh, you uh, Just imagine you walk out and the angel leads you out into the street. He says, yeah, you know the thing that you just got arrested for doing? teaching about Jesus in the temple. I want you to go back into the temple and teach about Jesus. And he says, proclaim all the words of this life. That phrase, this life, it's a reference to the gospel message. He's saying, I want you to proclaim all the words of this life. He's saying, don't, don't leave any, any part out. Don't leave out the, the parts that are are." not really that enjoyable, like the the part where we are deserving of God's wrath instead of his love because of sin. No, proclaim all the words of this life. So the apostles go and they begin to proclaim the gospel in the temple. Now, this is where it gets really good, okay? Uh, The next morning, about 70 officials get together to figure out what they're going to do with the apostles. So they send some officers um, to the prison to get them. These officers go to the prison and everything is routine. Everything is as it should be. There is a guard guarding. There is a door locked. They unlock the door, they open it, and they find out that the guards need a new title because they haven't been guarding anything. And they go back to the 70 officials and as they are reporting what they saw, someone else runs in. And this is the moment that I guarantee you, God in heaven was like, angels gather around. You're about to see something special. All right. Just go ahead and pull out heaven, Graham. The Instagram, that's dumb. All right. Just pull out. I'm sorry. It just, you're, you're about to see something special. All right. Uh, that's so stupid. Okay. And watch what happens. Verse 25. As the officers are reporting what has happened in the prison, a guy walks in and says this, verse 25, and someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple teaching the people. I love this. This is hilarious. This shows how brilliant God truly is. Because you have 70 officials who probably just had the best night of sleep that they've had in a long time. I guarantee you they all laid their heads on their pillows thinking, finally, no more teaching about Jesus in the temple. They wake up the next morning, they all get together, and a guy walks in and says, you know how you arrested the apostles for teaching about Jesus in the temple? I don't know how to tell you this, but the apostles are in the temple teaching about Jesus. And so verse 26, here's what it says happens. It says, then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force. Why? For they were afraid of being stoned by the people. Why were they afraid? Because the gospel had increased in momentum and impact throughout the entire crowd. So the officials bring them in and they are so infuriated by the apostles that they pick up stones to stone them. And right before they put the apostles to death, a guy named Gamaliel stands up, which is a pretty cool name just for you to tuck away for when you have kids. But a guy named Gamaliel stands up 
And uh, he says something that has everything to do with what we're talking about tonight. And what you need to know about Gamaliel is that uh, he was considered the most respected rabbi of his time. Uh, Gamaliel was said to be the teacher of Saul who became Paul. So when Gamaliel talked, people listened. Look at what he says in verse 35. He said to them, men of Israel, take care what you're about to do with these men. For before these days, Thutis rose up claiming to be somebody and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. You see what he's saying? He says this, hey, guys, don't freak out. You remember Thutis? What happened with Thutis? Well, Thutis had a sudden increase in popularity, followed by this momentary season of being the craze. But then he died, and there was a sudden and rapid decline to his movement. You remember Judas? Not Judas Iscariot, but a different Judas. What happened with Judas? Well, Judas also had this sudden increase in popularity, followed by this temporary season of being the craze followed by a sudden and rapid decline. What are those? Those are fads. He's saying, guys, don't freak out because if this is just another fad, give it time and it will fizzle out. You don't need to worry about it. But if this is of God, there is absolutely nothing you're going to be able to do about it. Acts chapter 19, verse 10 says this, this continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. 2,000 2000 years later, over 2 billion people would identify themselves with Christianity. The gospel has never been and will never be a fad. The gospel has only been increasing in momentum and impact for the last 2,000 years. Here's what I want to do right now. I want to actually show you the gospel on the move in real time. Okay, let me put up this website. I know it's kind of far away, but go ahead and put it up, Nate, if we have it. This is a, uh, uh-oh, okay, Nate, can you bring those numbers up a little, is that possible? Give it a second. Yep, boom, there it is. Okay, this is a, uh, if you were to go to greatcommission2020.org, this is a website put out by an organization called Global Media Outreach, which has the gospel on the web in different forms. And so what you're seeing right now, and it's, it might be hard to see, but there is a pin that is uh, popping around. Can you, can you guys see that? Just give it a second and watch to see the pin kind of pop up 
in different places. You need to go home and watch this on your own. When you're closer to your screen, you can see it. But you'll see this pin popping around. And this is the gospel on the move in real time. So if you see a, uh, I can't see what color that is, but if you see a certain color pin drop on the map, uh, that indicates that people have observed the gospel online. So just today, uh, 295,000 people have observed the gospel online just today. Okay, If you see an orange pin drop, that indicates that someone has trusted in Christ. And so just today, 32,000 people have put their trust in Jesus Christ. Okay, And I think it's interesting to note that you don't see the pin going over to the United States. Okay, it's going, it, it, it's showing up in other places. It, it's showing up in places that we wouldn't necessarily expect for a lot of movement to be happening. But the gospel is on the move. It has only been increasing in momentum and impact for the last 2,000 years. Go ahead and take down the map, Nate. Go to Great Commission 2020 on your own time and check it out. Let me just, let me just share with you a few things what God has been doing uh, in the world through the gospel. I don't know if you guys know this. In China, China is a country where, where um, the government seeks to control the impact that the gospel has. Really, until the late 1970s, early 80s, the, the government sought to really repress any impact that Christianity had. Um, in China, people estimate that there are somewhere between 80 and 100 million Christians today. Projections are showing that in 15 years or less, there will be more Christians in China than there are in the U.S. Over 30,000 conversions take place in China every day. Isn't that amazing? What about this? In Nepal, which is the world's only official Hindu country, over 100,000 Hindus have met Jesus in the last two decades. Every month, another 15,000 in India are baptized as new believers. In Africa, there are over 25,000 new believers every day. You guys realize that? In 1900, Korea had no Protestant church and it was deemed impossible to reach. Today, six new churches open every day in South Korea and it is site of nine of the world's largest churches, some with more than 800,000 members. Today, Korea is 30% Christian. Millions of Buddhists have come to Christ. This is the movement of the gospel. The gospel is not a fad. It has only been increasing in momentum, in impact all over the world. And this is what it shows me. It shows me that God is going to do whatever he needs to do to get his message out. Even if he has to send an angel into a prison to bust some people out, he will do it. No government, no organization, no person can stop the spread of the gospel. Now, here's what I want you to think about, and I need all eyes on me right now. Please don't miss this. Um, God, if he truly is God, he has limitless power, limitless resources, and limitless creativity. That means 
he could get his message out to the almost 7.3 billion people in this world however he wants. He has chosen to get his message out to the world through us. He doesn't need us, but for some reason he has chosen to use us for our good and for his glory. Listen to how Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20. He says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. That is the greatest implication of the gospel, that you are made new in Christ. The old is passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Paul says, you know who you are? If you are in Christ, you are an ambassador. What's an ambassador? It's a representative. When you believe in Jesus Christ, when you express faith for the forgiveness of your sins, God invites you into the family business and he gives you the privilege of being a part of something bigger than yourself. This is an invitation to step into a movement that has eternal significance. This is an invitation to to see God move in supernatural ways. This is an invitation to step into true significance, like if there's a longing in your soul to know that you're significant, if there's something in you that desperately wants to know that your one life on this earth counts for something, this is it. This is what you've been looking for. I need everyone here to realize spreading the gospel evangelism. It's not a missionary thing. It's not a pastor thing. It is a Christian thing. And if you are in Christ, one of the greatest privileges you have is to bring other people to the feet of Jesus. I love what Francis Chan says in his book, Crazy Love. And I've said this before at Vertical, but he says the point of your life, the point of your life, don't you want to know what that is? Don't you want to know what the point of your life is? The point of your life, he says, is to point people to Christ. That means right now at Baylor University, the point of your life is to see pins drop on the map in your dorm in your apartment complex, in your classes, on your campus, in the city of Waco, in the state of Texas, in the United States, and in the world. That's the point of your life is to see pins drop on the map. Mark my word. Mark my word. You are going to make your life about something. Your one life. That's why we're starting this series is called One. You're going to make your one life about something. You know what? Work hard. Study well. 
and make great grades, but do not make your life about a GPA. You know what? Date, get a boyfriend or girlfriend, get married. Do not make your life about romance. Get a great job, get promoted, make a lot of money. Be successful, but don't make your life about success. Be involved in the community. Volunteer for things. Apply for things. Know people. Be known by people, but don't make your life about involvement. You want to step into your ultimate purpose. You want to, you want to find true meaning and fulfillment. Then you step into the purpose for which you have been created, which is to make God look really good. In this world. You need to know God has already done so much in this world. But there is still so much left to be done. Here at Baylor University. And in the city of Waco. And in the rest of the world. Let me just give you a little glimpse. Into all of the work that still needs to be done. An organization called the Joshua Project estimates, and people have different estimates, but the Joshua Project estimates that there are over 16,000 distinct people groups in the world today. Around 7,000 of these are considered unreached, meaning uh, less than 2% of the population are evangelical Christians. They go on to say that over 3,000 of that 7,000 are considered unengaged, unreached people groups, which means that there, right now for those 3,000 plus people groups, there is no, there is no uh, formal effort to reach them with the gospel. There are, listen to this, this is staggering. There are roughly 400,000 missionaries in the world today, only 13,000 of them are working with the unreached world. 13,000. That means that there is one missionary for every 216,000 people in the unreached world. There is a need for some great ambassadors. You want to be a great representative? You want to be a great ambassador in this world? Let me just give you a few things to do. Number one, know the message of the gospel and know how to communicate it. Like if someone were to ask you, what makes Christianity so great? Do you know what you would say? If someone were to say, what is the good news of Christianity? I hope that you wouldn't immediately start talking about attending church or living a good life because it honestly has nothing to do with those things. It has everything to do with what Jesus Christ has done. Number two, shift your thinking from them coming to us going. Reaching people isn't primarily about them to come to us. It's not about getting them to come to things like vertical or coming to church. Those are great things. But it's so much more about us going to them, meeting people where they're at, loving them, and speaking truth. This means if you don't have any unbelieving friends, you probably need to get some. The third thing is this. When it comes to global missions, This is what I heard when I was in college. I don't know the first person who said this. Honestly, it doesn't matter. But when it comes to global missions, there's only four options. And here they are. You're either going, giving, praying, or disobeying. 
Okay, those are your four options when it comes to global missions. You're either going to be the person going, you're going to be the person praying and giving so that someone else can go, or you're just going to disobey. Everyone is called to be involved in what God is doing around the world. I want to close tonight by just asking you to do something. If you have a piece of paper and pen, I want you to take it out. If you don't have paper and pen, I want you to pull your phone out. I just want you to open it up to a notes section real quick. Just pull it out real quick. Open up to the notes section. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to write your birth date down. Write your birth date down. And here's what you need to know. Statistics would say that the average life expectancy of someone in the United States is just under 80 years. So let's do this. Let's just assume that every single person here is going to live 80 years to the day. So just figure that out real quick. What will be your expiration date if you live 80 years to the day? Okay, 80 years from your the day you were born, what would be your expiration date? I want you to write your birth date, put a dash, and then put your expiration date. Okay, if for some reason you think you're definitely going to live less than 80 years, you can put that date, all right, whatever. Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at that one little dash in between those two dates. Just look at that one little dash. That dash is where you are right now. That's where you're living. Right now, you are living in the midst of that dash. And I'm just stating the obvious here, but every single one of us only gets one dash on this planet. We only get one dash. I want you to look at that dash, and now I want you to picture it as a timeline of your life. I just want you to figure out where do you think you are right now in the timeline of your life? Where are you at along that dash? If you plan to live 80 years, and that would mean that you're about a fourth of a way through your dash. But the reality is, is there's people here who won't make it to the 80 years. And so if, if things go the way that the world normally goes, and with the amount of people we have here tonight, some people are realistically already halfway through their dash. There might even be a few people who are already three-fourths of the way through their dash. And I don't say that to be overly dramatic. I haven't asked the band to start padding just at this point so that I can say, like, you might be done tomorrow. You might be dead. Who knows? No one can know for sure. No, that's not the point. I'm just trying to get you to realize, look, you only get one dash. And no one gets to choose how long their dash is. The only thing you get to choose is how you spend your dash. That's it. That's all you get to choose is how you spend your dash. The goal of tonight, the goal of the next three weeks of this series, the reason that we have invited 23 different organizations to come from different states and to set up shop here tonight is because we want you to make the rest of your dash count. The gospel 
has never been and will never be a fad. It is in the business of transforming lives, not just temporarily, but for all of eternity. Make your dash count. Don't be so quick to get out of here. You know what? You can spare 10 more minutes, get out of the stands and come down and visit some of these places because God might use this next 10 minutes to define your dash. Do not waste it. You only get one. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we praise you for how good the gospel truly is. We praise you for what you've done for us, Lord God. And it is news worth sharing, God, and you've given us the privilege of stepping into the family business and communicating your gospel to the world, Lord. But there is a need, Lord. Your word is clear. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, God. And so I pray that tonight you'd speak into each one of our souls and you would call us. You've already called us through your word. We don't need an extra calling. You've already put it in your word, but I pray that tonight we would still, you would, you, you would just speak specifically to each of us and begin to clarify where you want us going and who you want us claiming the gospel too. Lord, use us. God, I pray that you would take people in this stadium tonight and you would spread us out all over the world. And that you would use us, God, to expand your kingdom for your glory and our good. We love you. In Jesus' name.